is no past There is no future Now free to live at last Hey, alright <laughs> This is Tim Crisp And you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with my mate, Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, boy? How are you? I'm pretty good, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I know. It's nice to be here. Second time! <laughs> this is an Australian podcast where we talk about Foster's and Lawrence Arms records. Yeah, I mean, isn't Australian like a little more pinched? Isn't it more like... It's an Australian podcast where you talk about um, Foster's and um, Lawrence Arms, right? Like, it's a little bit more up here. What well, you're, you're doing is, like, a little Melbourne. bit more like, um, I don't know, like South Sea, something <laughs> like that. Maybe even Welsh, I don't know. And I know that this is more like um, even Kiwi than um, Aussie, but... Um, from Chicago, keep in mind, I've already got a humongous accent to overcome. <laughs> it's probably impossible. Uh, to... <laughs> oh, boy, it's it's a late one. Welcome to Road to the Skeleton Coast. Of course, this is an American podcast featuring two American-Americans. My name is Tim Crispin. This is my best friend, Brennan Kelly. Hello. Brennan, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you? Dude, I'm doing pretty good. Cool. Um, I, I, I should point out right now that Tim does not feel well, and um, we were supposed to do this podcast at 2 p.m. It is now 4.30, and I just straight up didn't show up for this. So, And then Tim was like, maybe we could do it tomorrow? And I was like, no, today is better. So if there's... Who's who's the greatest hero of January twentieth, two thousand twenty-one? Is it Kamala Harris uh, for being the first woman of color to ever hold an executive position? No. Is it Joe Biden for finally ousting the dumbest, shittiest president of all time? No. Is it that? God, I don't want to give props to a cop, but that dude. <laughs> like watching that footage of all those hillbillies like climb the stairs and him like bending down to grab a baton to just like have anything to defend himself with uh, I-, I was like I feel for you man and um, and then today he got to walk them out like as this sort of like sergeant in arms for the inauguration I don't know, man. I'm 44 years old. Maybe I'm just like getting sentimental. I I thought that was ACAB, <laughs> but man, that was cool. <laughs> well, you and me, we're gonna we're gonna power through this one, Brendan. Yes, because we are talking about the record. That started it all. And it wasn't even a record when it all started. Tutti Frutti by um, uh, Little Richard. Yes. Yes. 
Uh, that's right. That is uh, Tutti Frutti by Little Richard, uh, also known as Skeleton Coast by the Lawrence Arms. Yeah, man. Um, can we, like, actually just for a moment discuss Little Richard is a name that means tiny penis. Um <laughs> Tutti Fruity is definitely implying gay sex, and Little Richard, the guy, mm-hmm. implies gay sex by like his appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> as somebody that clearly engages in gay sex, uh, and so? uh, or did when he was alive, I suppose. <laughs> what a hero! Like. Yeah, if rock and roll is going to be invented, could it be invented by a more worthwhile person than, like, a queer minority that absolutely was going to take no shit and not even pretend that this wasn't about that? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I've heard that Tutti Fruity is actually like a pan to... That which occurs after butt sex, like sort of the <laughs> cleanup. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh-huh. I choose to believe it is. And I like that. Did you know, Tim, that I've mm. met Little Richard? No way. Really? Yes. Um, would you like to hear about it? I would absolutely love to hear about this. Okay. So I'm playing the House of Blues in Hollywood, California. Whoa. Land of the stars. Yeah. And well, I'm not the main act by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, No effects Mm. is. But so I am across the street at the Hyatt Hotel. Um, (laughs) The star is so good. Um, (laughs) and, And here's the table. It's me, Chris McCoggan, Matt Skiba, Fat Mike. That's mm-hmm. that's where we're sitting. And, <laughs> and Chris, at a certain point, goes, yo, check out little Richard over there. <laughs> and I look and I go, yo, that's actually little Richard. <laughs> and Chris is like... <laughs> Yeah, that's literally what I just said. I said, check out little Richard over there. And I was like, ah, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you, you did. Uh, he's pretty I mean, hard to mistake for anybody else. Yes, I understand. But I, I feel like if somebody was walking around looking uh, a certain way, and this is not in a like judgmental way, but one could be dressed like little richard and one could say ah check out little richard over there check out elvis over there 100 percent. that's what i was thinking Mm -hmm. tim i was like ah there's gonna be a dude i'm about to look up and there will be a guy that looks like little richard over there i did not expect that it would be the actual little richard over there you forgot you're in hollywood (laughs) land of the stars also um it's well known that Little Richard lived in this hotel, in this Hyatt, across the street from uh, House of Blues. 
Interesting. On, I believe it's Sunset. I don't know. I don't want to get too into California because I don't know too much about it. And I'm from the Midwest and I'm uh, not trying to be, I'm not trying to fake the funk, people. I don't know. But anyway, um, and so I was like, yo, that is Little Richard. Chris is like, yes, that's what I just told you. I was like, eh. This is what I'm bad at. Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, that is Little Richard. And then Matt Skiba looks at me and goes, Do you know what I bet he would love? To talk to you right now. And I said, You're so fucking right. Yeah, of course he would love to talk to me. So I fucking sprint up to Little Richard. And there's like myriad things at this point that need to be said. Uh, number one, his head is gigantic. And he his face looked like an ice cream cake. Like you could just look like you could cut mm-hmm. into it and there would be like Boston <laughs> cream inside. He, this, just because of makeup and hugeness mm-hmm. and like smooth, perfect kerning of his makeup artist or whatever. And he had two bodyguards that kind of flanked me immediately. He can't be more than five, six, right? No, he was taller than me. I'm six foot. Really? And he, he is, you are not six foot. Get out of here in your bra. That doesn't make sense. Uh, Yeah. I mean like whatever. Like I'm definitely, (laughs) Tell you this, I'm six foot enough that I don't care if you believe me or not. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you're like 85 years old. I would, I would hope that you're not, uh, <laughs> you're not dependent upon people believing how tall you are at this point in your life. No, yeah, I definitely am way past lying about it. <laughs> um, but he, he was a good few inches taller than me from what I remember. And it could have absolutely been that he was wearing lifts because that's not out of the question for a uh, <laughs> little Richard to do. I mean, that seems that seems like something that he could po- probably do. Uh-huh. So, I'm like, <laughs> so his bodyguards flank me. I'm like, yo, little Richard. <laughs> Huge fan. And I go to shake his hand, and he just slaps a book in my hand. It's like a little thin tome. It's probably about like 110 pages. Like, uh, about like eight inch by three and a half inch paperback called Navigating Mm. the Storm. Something of that nature. Yeah. And um, inside, it's got a photo of little richard and it is autographed but it's just like a xerox right and uh <laughs> so ooh. and so like i get it and i was like yo thanks for the book man that's dope but i'm a huge fan i'd love to shake your hand second book <laughs> into my hand and he goes, 
Give this one to one of your friends over there. You, it looks like you all need this. <laughs> so that is like kind of the second most interesting story that I know about Little Richard at that hotel. Um, number one, my friend Pete who used to be in slapstick with me, mm-hmm. who was roommates with uh, Ryan Sutter when he won the Bachelorette, the very first Bachelorette ever. No way. He, he, he became married to Trista Wren. Well, my best friend Pete was his roommate in Aspen uh, after they had both been um, firemen in Antarctica, don't even get me started, Peter. <laughs> my friend Peter, same guy, fascinating life. Uh huh. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. I think he won because he's on the phone late at night, uh, just like really whispering. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, when he was in Leston Jake, was staying at the same Hyatt Hotel where Little Richard lives. And he was staying with Buddy, who's the other trombone player, unless the Jake at the time. Hmm. Peter gets up to go get some ice. You know, so he does the thing where he leaves, like, the little, like, elongated horseshoe thing, like, clicked mm-hmm. clothes, and, you know, you know, like, your room's open, or whatever. While Peter's gone... Little Richard ventures into their room and Buddy is asleep and is woken up by Little Richard just like right above him being like, hey, man. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if there's a weirder way to wake up. Uh, I don't like, think so. I don't I mean, think so. <laughs> Because also, like I just said, his head is like a giant ice cream cake. Like, he's a huge... He's a guy that invented rock and roll. Like, there's something about him. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Like, and Mm -hmm. it's about him, whether you're seeing him on TV. It's about him if he's handing you books about navigating the storm. And it's also totally about him if I assume you are asleep in a hotel room that you think is, like, uh, sort of uh, safe <laughs> and not full of interlopers. And then you wake up and he's the thing that you see right above your head. Uh, Incredible. So, yes. Incredible. Well... That's it for us this week. Yeah. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. <laughs> um, internet's telling me that little Richard's five foot ten. So yeah, I mean, but yeah, it might be wearing lifts. Might be wearing lifts. I think he was wearing lifts because he definitely looked bigger than me. Uh, and. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he's little Richard. Of course, he's fucking wearing high heels and lifts. <laughs> little fucking Richard. Like, what, what? What do you believe more that he is wearing lifts or that he's not wearing lifts? Well, <laughs> I guess I guess given given a chance to like think about it and talk on it, um, yeah, it's far more likely than he's that he's wearing lifts. But hey. Uh, you got have had a pretty exciting week this week. I listened to your very first episode of "They Come to America." Yes, you and Matt Marty. Yeah, that I am. I am the once again. I'm the sidekick on another podcast, um, and uh, this one is about the fifty states. Each week is a different state and we talk about it and it's not totally fact-based. It's more like, man, I got fucking wasted in Louisiana and this is what happened kind of shit. And we have, Mm -hmm. we have guests every week and, uh, it's, it's really fun. I think the first we've, we've done like four or five episodes and I'm, I'm pretty excited about how they've turned out. And, uh, yeah, you guys should check that out wherever you can get podcasts. It's still not up on Apple Podcasts for whatever reason, but it will be. Well, as a veteran, Apple Podcasts takes a little while, but I'm sure by the time that it's uh, that this episode is out, you'll be able to find it in your Apple Podcast player. Matt Marty, good fucking people. Also, knowing Matt Marty and listening to Matt Marty on the podcast, he, he does the... Uh, he does it very well. You you get a good uh, you get a good dose of Matt Marty. He translates uh, into the medium quite well. So I'm excited. He doesn't interrupt you very often, which I find a little weird. I don't know why. He doesn't. <laughs> I'm sure he'll he'll get the hang of it at some point. Yeah. No. No. I mean, uh, it it is cool. It's it's nice. It's Marty's idea. He came up with it and. Um, It's 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 a cool cool idea, and um, I'm just glad to be along for the ride. You know what I mean? Uh, oh yeah. This is very similar to this podcast. You know, I'm just I'm just glad to be part of it with you, man. Uh, <laughs> I like you hosts. I like to be the assistant. Well, I, I had an exciting time talking to Mike Park over on Better Yet. That came out yesterday. And, uh, fuck, man. I was like, you're Mike Park. He's like, yeah. Did you talk to him about when he used to eat Triscuits and then spit them onto the Triscuits and then take uh, Parmesan cheese and sprinkle it over them and serve them to people? (laughs) No. Somehow it didn't come up. Yeah, because it's fucking disgusting and it should never come up and it should never have existed in the first place. Mike Park is disgusting. Uh, Mike Park, I love you. You're the best. Also, ew. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever actually gotten through talking about that without, like, involuntarily gagging. Because I, he came up with that. He was staying at a place in New Mexico. It was, like, this, like, shitty hotel. And it was, like, him and Hiro Tanaka. And we got... 
there I, I don't even know if we were like staying in the same hotel or whatever but he was just there and he was just like farting and like in boxer shorts and just like cupping his farts like with his hands <laughs> and like bringing them up to his nose because he loved the fart smell and making these appetizers that were so gross that were like chewed up triscuits on other triscuits and he's like don't you think i could absolutely pass these off i'm like it, the idea that you would even consider passing this off as actual food is sociopath shit man like like you <laughs> this is so gross and weird like please stop doing this He's like, no, Brendan, don't you want one? And I'm like, but yeah, no, he's, he's the best. I have so many questions Mm -hmm. and I'm going to, I'm going to let them go unanswered. Um, But I feel, I feel like so much of my interview with Mike was informed by a story that you told us on our Patreon, patreon.com slash sandwich. Yeah, about him driving. Yes, that, I'm. I'm sure that he leaned straight into that, like because <laughs> he's not shy about who he is, and that's exactly who he is. And I, I tip my hat to you, Tim, for asking him about that. And I bet that he was just like, "Oh, I didn't ask him about it. Oh, I yeah. just." I just, oh, yeah. it informed no, oh, everything. Yeah. 43 <laughs> miles an hour? That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> So, we haven't talked to Mike Park on our Patreon, but we have talked to some very, very fine folks like Deanna Bellos, Brian Fallon, Daniel Andriano. Uh, this is the part Benito where you Mussolini. Say, yeah, Benito. Hold Benny. Um. Yeah, we did Dave Hawes on there. Uh, Tom May, uh, Chris Number Two, uh, Toby Jag, Matt Allison, the, Greg Barnett. Uh, it's 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 a real fucking scene over there, man. Um, if you like what you hear here, but you want more and you want it to be even more sort of intimate and off the cuff, I guess. Uh, it's a lot of me and Tim and our best friends just going at it in a casual sense. And uh, yeah, I sign up for our Patreon, Better Sandwich. Slash Patreon. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, Brendan. Yep. Skeleton Coast. Heard of it. Seventh Lawrence Arms. LP, and to start us off, this is the fifth that's produced by Matt Allison. We've talked a lot about y'all going to record it at Sonic Ranch. Uh, a yeah. question that I have is when you're coming to when you're coming up with making a record, is there any question that is going to be done with Matt? No, there's not any question that's going to be done with Matt. And, uh, frankly, like, um, I don't think, God, I want to be 
careful saying this because I don't want to sound like a dildo, but um, I don't think there's any question that, like, when it comes down to, like, certain things, it's like, we all talk and then I do the thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like I kind of, just like the way any organization has to work, there has to be someone that makes the decision, someone that makes the phone calls. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I booked the time at Sonic Ranch. Um, I uh, hired Matt Allison. Mm-hmm. But I didn't hire Matt Allison, like, in a vacuum. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, I I was like, so Matt Allison? And everyone's like, yes, yes. Will you call him? Mm-hmm. I was like, yes. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, so, like, I, I don't want to make it sound like I, I was, like, uh rolling like uncontested in any of this like it, it's very much a group decision i mean it's the fucking lawrence arms if you listen to this podcast you know what we're about with like we're like one of the most egalitarian of organizations that has ever uh tried to exist and um so yeah we we got matt well well first the first thing we did was got Dan Tinkler for those Dan Tinkler sessions where we demoed the whole thing. And we mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of time for this because it's like Chris and Neil live on the West Coast and they came once to do some demoing and then again right before War on Christmas. So we demoed about 15, 16 songs for this and that was all Dan Tinkler, but who is an acolyte of Matt Allison. Mm -hmm. And also he's a member of the wandering birds. And you know, the whole thing is like, I hope that like people out there somewhere will like think about this, like little scene we have and and just be like, it's so cool that everybody was like all involved and, you know, did everything or whatever. And everybody was in each other's bands and stuff like that. Um, because that is what it is, and it is that cool, mm-hmm. and it's and it's fun, and like, I I like all these people, and it, I'm very honored to be part of doing it. But yeah, there was never a question that it was going to be Matt Allison. I think I've talked about how we ended up in El Paso, which is mm-hmm. hilarious. Yeah, um, and yeah. So I guess one want... one thing that I hear um, with bands that work with a producer more than once is you, you'll hear oftentimes that it becomes like too chummy of a of a relationship, and it's like we have to make this next record with someone different because it's there. There's too much of a friendship that's developed and. Um, you and, you and Matt have, uh, well, I've, I've been in a conversation with the two of you talking and it's a very fun dynamic, but, um, how does that balance work with now a fifth LP? Man, it's a great question because, um, maybe those, fucking 
Losers are right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they don't want to deal with their producer and engineer again. I kind of feel like we found a producer that's and an engineer that gets our aesthetic that helped us craft our aesthetic that's almost in our band. Mm-hmm. And we've been working with him forever. And he knows as much about us as we know about ourselves. And we'd be idiots to try to like put this hot pan into like a cold sink Mm -hmm. as it were. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like we, so, so we go down to like, fucking south carolina and we're hanging out with like dick jangle nuts and and he's like well i don't think that's gonna work and it's like (laughs) you gotta go fuck yourself dick jangle nuts (laughs) this is what we're going for Uh like you know like uh, i i don't know i mean like there's 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 a lot of layers to this particular question that you're asking and I think not the least of which is like we're an established band and we are not the best thing we can do is not disappoint people mm-hmm. at this point mm-hmm. you know like like uh, group of midwestern punk rockers that do something very well do it well again isn't much of a headline you know uh so like when we put out a record it's either expected to be good or it would be a headline because it's terrible Uh uh-huh we're not gonna do that but like it's because fucking work with matt allison we we are all a team together. Like, I can't imagine. We don't need your advice, new person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, uh, for better or for worse, like, shit, man. We're the best band that's been around for 22 years. Like, that's Skeleton Coast mm-hmm. is the best 22 years into a band's career record that anybody's ever made yep. I think. and and so i don't damn think... i actually think i genuinely mean that when i say yep oh it's yeah of course yeah I, I i do i mean yeah i know that you do and now i'm <laughs> i'm looking i'm like yeah yeah but but so like we did that as a brotherhood, you know, yeah. and and Matt Allison was part of it, and everybody that says that shit about how they need to get a new producer and shit like that, mm-hmm. we're banned for six years and they're done now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I I'm very comfortable with our choice to stay parochial. Because we are a parochial band. We're a band about city streets in Chicago. Um, we're a band about a small group of 
very local punk rockers that we associated ourselves with at, when we first started. Mm-hmm. And we are about a very specific perspective, which is Northside Chicago, hyper-radical, um, not trying, I don't care what you do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I feel like that Matt has enough of a separation to where he can be your boss when it comes down to you tell a story to Brooklyn Vegan just about the ghostwriter baseline and how you kind of they Matt and Neil are saying rewrite that you're saying no but fine that dynamic seems to be pretty well uh lived in even the like response back to you it's gonna have like this much vinegar to it they get that he knows what he has to say to you to make you do something what he has to say to chris man and and it it is like you know like that baseline i i did that baseline and you're like this part doesn't work and i'm like These are the notes that I would use if I was on a guitar, mm-hmm. doing a guitar solo. They all work. I am aware that they all work. You just don't like them. Like, but this is my artistic choice. No, they don't work. Mm-hmm. Okay, how about I do this? Yep, like that a lot better. Yep, like that a lot better. Uh, I am nothing if not... Um, you know, like a new puppy that wants my master to like him, mm-hmm. uh, right? Yeah. Like it, and so like those guys are like, "This is better," and they know more about music than me. So I go, "Okay," and and it works. And, and like uh, <laughs> walka walka to them, I'm not going to know how to play that fucking bass line now because it's not the one I wrote. <laughs> If we ever play a show again, right? yeah, nobody cares about the bass anyway. That's true. It's like Mike. It's like Mike said on this very podcast. Our job is to make everyone else sound good. You know, I will always remember Tommy Stinson on Marin's podcast, and he's just talking about how he goes with the flow and shit, and he's Marin's like, well, why? What is it about you? And, you know, and then you got all these guitar players. He's like, too many strings. I don't know. I can't do... (laughs) They play too many strings. They think they're important. I think that that's so funny. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, the the thing about Tommy Stinson is, A, great dude. B, he's really into simplicity because I've never hung out with him when he hasn't been wearing pajama pants <laughs> um so he's obviously not like trying too hard to do anything and see i think he went to he played with me this is the day i met you actually yep. tim crisp um and i played before tommy stinson and it was for a bunch of like wasted moms from the suburbs, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what that show was. There were like eight of us in the corner, and we're like, hey, it's Brendan. 
And then, yeah, and they were like, can I get a free t-shirt? And I was like, no, no, I don't have any idea where you got the idea that I was going to give you free stuff. I Seriously, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But, um, but he... Let the record show. The motherfucker's a maniac, and he wanted to, like, hang out and party and, you know, just, like, booze up and the whole thing. And then the next day, I think I hear from my people in Minneapolis. It's like, yeah, Tommy Stinson says you really fucking, you know, made him do things he didn't want to do last night. And I was like... (laughs) No? Okay. The guys of the replacements, uh, can we just please use Occam's razor here? Of uh. course, I didn't make him do anything he didn't want to do. Like, I, like what, I, I'm influencing Tommy Stinson now? No, I'm not. <laughs> so, so, yeah, he's full of shit, too. Anyway, uh, so, we got... Six and a half years since Metropole came out. Um, of course, that came out on Epitaph, and that was your first record on Epitaph. I'm curious, when y'all are talking to Epitaph, is there any ex- expectation from them on <laughs> you guys like doing a follow-up in any sort of timely manner or are they just like cool you're here uh next one can come whenever you feel like it no i mean i had to fly out there and like sit with brett to play my acoustic demos and chris's acoustic demos in order for us and after I did the whole thing, which was one of the most nerve-wracking experiences of my life. This is for Skeleton Ghost? Yes. Okay. He he goes, weren't you already signed for another record? Or were you just a one-record deal? I was like, <laughs> we're just a one-record deal. If we were signed for another record, I wouldn't be here at all. Like, I flew here from Chicago on my own money. Like, how do you fucking mind? Yeah. No. Uh, so, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing to try to like pick back up because, you know, like we, when we signed to Epitaph the first time, um, there, yeah, I'm gonna tell this story. I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to. Uh, I guess uh, there was this whole thing where, like, Mike from Fat, Fat Mike, mm-hmm. as he's sometimes known, <laughs> was really like, he was like, I don't care what Epitaph offers you, I'll offer you twice as much. I'll bankrupt the label. Hmm. Nobody can, like, nobody can see, like, Fat and Epitaph have a similar reputation. Everybody knows that you and me are, like, really close friends. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
whatever. And well, I mean, do I tell the whole fucking story? The big story? Be cool if you did. Uh, it's it's very long. It would be the end of this podcast if I told the whole thing. Um, it's great. I, I'll tell it. And then Mike's like, and dude, the only reason he's trying to sign you is because I signed the Descendants. He's just trying to motherfuck me. He knows you and me are best buds. Mm-hmm. And he wants to sign the Descendants. I don't believe I'm fucking saying this in, like, public record. Okay. <laughs> and You just, you're committing to it by saying it, though. I'm not. It's, it's uh, too late now. I'm not going back. Um, and so... Um, as I'm talking to, to Chris, I'm talking to Neil, I'm talking to Toby, and I'm like, Mike's got our best interest at heart. Mike's our boy. Mike's always taking care of us. There's no way mm-hmm. that, like, we're not going to deal with Mike. And he's already said that he would double any offer that Epitaph had. Not that money is a huge... Uh, thing for us, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously, it's not <laughs> insignificant, <laughs> right? No, we don't care about money. But so we fly out to California. We go to Epitaph, and Brett puts us in this fucking room. In the high end. This is before Metropole. Under Little the Richard. original painting of the cover of Against the Grain. Which, Whoa. if you're familiar with the Lawrence Arms, is pretty clever <laughs> pole position thing to do. Yeah. Right? We were like, yo. Hello. <laughs> okay. Just making sure it's still recording. Um and and um and so we're sitting there and like in these sort of situations, uh, it says Chris and Neil and I talk beforehand and then I sort of do the talking in the meeting. It's not that they don't have ideas. We combine them together. Face of know? the franchise. And then I just articulate them mm-hmm. or whatever so you're like don't worry I've done this before I'm slapstick and I talk to Brent <laughs> yeah yeah I know I've, I've already <laughs> fucked this completely up once before um, and so I was like <laughs> and this actually wasn't something that me and Chris and Neil talked about but it was the first question I had I was like dude You've signed, like, some fucking saggy, aging punk rock bands like Bouncing Souls, Hot Water Music, and, like, you put out their records, and they've done okay, but, like, not spectacular, and it doesn't seem to be really your forte in terms of what you're able to market. What Hmm. makes you think that the Lawrence Arms is a different band than those two 
excellent bands. Right? <laughs> what? Feeling pretty good about my like acumen as a fucking, uh, <laughs> you know, negotiator in this uh-huh. business meeting or whatever. And he's like, "Well, the thing is, you guys never put out a bad record. You know, you started out like, uh, you know, once after the exhaustion, you kind of refine your footing, and then the greatest story ever told. Obviously, it's like its own weird kind of masterpiece. And then you know, Oak Calcutta, like." Created a whole new like subgenre of punk rock, and then you put out Butt Sweat and Tears, which is just as good as Oak Calcutta. And I was like, Fat Mike couldn't even name those albums. Yeah, <laughs> like he yeah. couldn't even name them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fucking sold, right? Mm-hmm. We go home. I call Mike. I'm like, dude. Can't. I, I, I'm. We're going to Epitaph. Um, I have the opportunity to be alive one time, and um, I could say I've been on Fat Records, or I could say I've been on Fat Records and Epitaph. Mm-hmm. And I don't see why I wouldn't take the opportunity to do that. And he goes, he only likes it because he, because I signed the Descendants. I'm telling you. And I'm like, dude, he cares about our band. It, like, and, and Mike's like, fine. I'm not mad. I'm just really sad. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And um, so, <laughs> so we go on, we put out the record. And as soon as we put out Metropole, like our band, we double in terms of crowd size. Mm-hmm. You know, we went from 400 people to 800, 2,000 people every yeah. night. You know, and, and it's terrific. And we get to LA and like we used to play the Troubadour, which is a 500 person venue. And then we, we're playing the El Rey and it's 900. A thousand and we it's sold out and we're fucking stoked you know like this is like this has worked out very well and we go and i walk into our backstage room and there's brett gerwitz sitting there and i sit down next to him and i say brett i can't tell you like i've been a fan of your songwriting and your band forever and ever and your label and the opportunity to be on the Epitaph team like in this family is beyond a wildest dream and I can't thank you enough and like if you look out there you see a thousand people out there that's not what we used to do in terms of crowds and Mm -hmm. it's all because of you guys and I can't thank you enough and he looks at me and he passed me on the shoulder and he goes, fuck fat Mike for signing the descendants. I'm out of here. (laughs) And he fucking stands up and leaves before we play. (laughs) Holy shit. 
Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Because you're telling me that story, and I'm like, why would he care that much about Fat Rex signing the Descendants? And then, that's fucking wild. Have you told Mike that story? Mm Mm-hmm. He he probably loved it, right? There's a part of him that hates it. <laughs> no and then, shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> there's that validation, and I was right. And also, like, there's just respect. Respect. Uh, the whole thing. <laughs> it really, the way it leaks, like through the like sluices through the grates or whatever you want to say. There's a couple dudes that really control punk rock, <laughs> you know? Uh, I don't want to say anything more about it than that. But, <laughs> uh, but so it's, go ahead. he wasn't wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I, I kind of like choked one of my best friendships for that, but it's almost worth it for that story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break and uh, we'll be right back. So what did we do about it? We're back. Or were we were we finishing? No, up no, 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 no. I think I think I think we're good. Um, I I told Tim a few things, uh, you know, in confidence about this this entire experience, which uh, is it, it is overall a funny experience, but it's also a man, you know it. <laughs> Fat Mike put out records on Epitaph Records, and uh, I put out records on Fat Records, and like it's mm-hmm. all really cool. And just the opportunity to have this like sort of uh, playground to dick around in, where the uh, the end card of the drama that you're going through is Brecker was clapping you on the shoulder and going. Fuck Fat Mike for signing the Descendants <laughs> is great, uh, and, and that's what I really want to bring to the table is that like uh, I don't believe I get to be part of these fucking situations, man. Like I grew up as a twelve year old kid listening to No Facts and Bad Religion, and uh, going to bar mitzvahs, and here I am ensconced in Judaism. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Is that is that is that good, Tim? It's a or good no? looking Not... circumcision you got there, Brendan. Oh, my circumcision is about as good as one gets. If you ignore that they cut off the head of my penis entirely. Um but uh so what's your next question, Tim? <laughs> well, I was just I, I find it kind of funny looking at the timeline here and realizing that 
in the six and a half years that pass, you're fucking busy, man. Falcon, do gather up the chaps. 2016, keep walking, pal, is Mm -hmm. March of 2018. Also, we're the champions of the world, which, I mean, he meant some fences there with Fat Mike. He got to put that record out. That was cool. He called me and said, do you want to do the greatest hits record? I know we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. Specifically on the We Are the Champions of the World uh, episode, probably. Uh, (laughs) I I assume we talked about this a little bit. But it was right immediately following this story that uh, until now has never been public. And there... There was everything changed from that point, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, for one thing, Mike was right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, that. That's that's huge in terms of like my own feelings about the whole thing. And he was upset with me, and he was correct. What he said was happening was happening, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and uh, for him to reach out, I don't know if it was just like business acumen because he is a hell of a businessman, you know. Um, that 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 could be what it was, or it could have been like a. I, I don't think it was though like a, some sort of flailing attempt to like reignite our friendship to the way where it was because oh no no that's not what I was suggesting no no no, no. I wish it had been I love Mike he's my hero I'd love to be friends with him like that again but it's it like was clear we, from the episode that it's we like had we said, with him that you want to be his friend again. Dude, I'm in that episode, I told you about the literal funniest conversation I've ever had with him. Yeah, totally. When I walked on the stairs, and I go, hi, Mike. He goes, we've already said hi, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's, for better or for worse, that's where we're at. Uh, but <laughs> he was right in this one, you know? Yeah. I was wrong. I, I, I fucked up. But in fairness to the decision-making process that went down in Team Lawrence Arms, which I can't take all the credit or blame for, whatever you want to say, we made the right move. Yeah. Going to Epitaph was the right thing to do. Yeah, so. absolutely. <clears throat> I think that also it's... um. I think that, like, symbolically there's something to be read in in the fact that Epitaph signing you is, it's something that you earned. You know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a level up that's like an acknowledgement of like, yeah, that's what this band is. There... Epitaph signs a lot of bands that are cool young bands. Mm-hmm. I mean, they signed the Menzingers, they signed the Sidekicks, 
They also sign old established bands that are considered to be legendary, Bouncing Souls, Hot Water Music. Mm-hmm. We also got signed. We don't fall into either of those categories. Right. We are the people who got kicked off the Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And um, you're the fuckers who made old Calcutta. I mean, we are not the kind of band. I don't know. I mean, the last thing I want to do is sit here and like sound like I'm like pumping my tires about being non traditional or whatever, but like, we've always been a bad band to take a chance on, and. Mm-hmm. Fat did it. You know, Asian Man did it. Uh, Epitaph did it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little bit. But so, very... um, I'm very proud of our associations with all of those organizations. They're so good. And all three of them are run by like main guys that are great musicians that also just happen to be like totally right on and cool. And mm-hmm. it's pretty mind boggling to me. Yeah. To be able to just be a part of it. But that's, that's all I'm talking too much. Um, we did talk about this on the, on the, we are the champions episode, but the effect that that has, just for your listenership and for gaining new listeners, I think is worth pointing out again, because, you know, I think that when you're in the trenches as, you know, us who listen to things so much like to think that we are like a greatest hits hits collection to that audience feels like, Oh, cool i guess um but from the perspective of literally everybody else that's out there oh an easy entryway into a point an easy entryway into a band that has a long catalog that's great that's exactly what i need and also it heightens this notion that we are the kind of band that deserves a greatest hits record. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that I think that I didn't understand when Mike suggested it to me. Uh, You know, he, he said, and which is extremely prudent, like it'll be all your best songs on one thing and it'll say greatest hits. So, Nobody will be coming to see what your band sounds like and listening to the wrong songs. Good. What I didn't get was that it made people be like, I've seen this fucking band name for 20 years. Oh, they're the kind of band that gets a Greatest Hits album? Yeah. Ooh, that's a band I should probably check out. You know, I've considered checking them out, never fucking went there tim what's a band you've never checked out that you know you'd like but you just didn't get into Mm. um well i'll 
kind of answer that and just say that I really started to break things open with Tom Waits. Like it, it just happened. Right. So for me, it was, it's silver Jews. Mm hmm. Like I fucking love all that shit that surrounds that band. Yeah. And every song I've heard by them, I love. I just haven't done the homework. But I know that I like the band. Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. real stupid to not be into it. And that is, I believe that when we put out We Are the Champions of the World, it was an invoice sheet for a ton of people who thought that about the Lawrence Arms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like... It almost becomes like having six great records is a burden, right? What? I, okay. I mean, Silver Jews are a perfect example. You know that you like the songs that you hear. There's not a bad Silver Jews record, and there's really like three great records to start with. But when it's not as simple as, oh, listen to... This yeah, one. Animal of the State. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but but the thing is, yeah. But also, it's never that easy, right? It's like... Mm. I'd say more and more so these days, it's never that easy. No Means No is an extraordinarily important band. And as far as I'm concerned, they have two albums. Mm. How many albums do they actually have? 19? I'm guessing, (laughs) you know, but to me, it's wrong and all roads lead to Ausfart. I like some tracks off the day everything became nothing. And then it's like, that's one of my favorite bands. Like Mm -hmm. I live and die at the altar of no means no, you know, does six albums become a burden? uh, That's what Mike was saying. Mm-hmm. Put that fucking greatest hits record on Spotify and let people hear the best songs. Um, but I think I I honestly think that the main thing is that like we got categorized in a different spot by doing that record. Yeah, and that's that's what it. It doubled our audience. The last... Mm-hmm. Metropole and then We Are the Champions each doubled our audience. Which makes me super upset that Skeleton Coast came out and we can't tour anymore because... Uh, <laughs> Would have loved to see that. Because... Double, doubled audience. I feel like... Yes, I feel like it would go pretty well yeah and now it's like now i don't know like is it over like was that it Mm -hmm. i I have no idea when like people come back to want to listen to punk rock is it like a bunch of people that are you know our fans are older and we have fans of all ages obviously but 
at least half of our fans are over 30. And are they just like, yeah, I've grown to live without this now. Live music? Yeah. No, it's going to be a wave. And, well, I don't... I don't know. I don't take anything for granted and I don't take any of you people out there listening for granted or whatever. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a fucking uh, total smarmy dildo pandering to anyone. But what I'm saying is I don't want to do as many things as I used to want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My career is based in no small part on people wanting to do things they used to want to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like i I don't know we'll see for sure if you want me to play privately at your house i will but you have to pay me a lot of money okay that's good (laughs) uh i got a silver juice playlist coming your way my friend and I'll throw that over there on our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. Excellent. So w- with Metropole, you and Chris have this moment of realizing that you both wrote a song about the same scene in Vertigo. Yeah. There you go. That's that's the thing that ties Metropole together it's a theme that you can work off of he stops i'm not saying that it that it ties that it's like it's everything but it's it's a see what what i think i think what you're saying is very interesting and it's a excellent assessment of the record but what ties that record together is that we wrote about the exact same thing in every other mm-hmm. song on that album mm-hmm. without any sort of overt um, indications towards uh, like cultural touch point, right? Yeah. Um, the The songs are all about estrangement. I mean, I know that I've said this a million times. People say the songs, the the record's about getting old. The record's about being alone. Mm-hmm. And when you're old and you're alone, people notice that you're old. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, if I go to a bar and I'm 25, it's like, hey, who's that guy down at the end of the bar? If I go to a bar and I'm alone and I'm me now, I'm 44, Mm -hmm. it's like, there's an old man at the end of the bar. At least you're six feet tall. Yeah, well, you know. (sighs) Or you were before you had that hunch. Uh, (laughs) But I don't know what this means. Uh, But but the the thing, the, the point is, you're... I don't want to say being old is a personal weakness because that's not really totally accurate, but your 
personal weakness is the shit that shows up when you isolate Mm -hmm. yourself. That's what Metropole is about to me. And I think to Chris too. I mean, we, we have just a really, um, it's like laser beams between our brains. Like we know what we're saying. Yeah. And, We've never had to talk about it, and these records always end up being about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like I'm talking out of school by saying that, you know. And this one is not about that. This one's about the next thing. The next Skeleton thing. Coast is about after you're done giving shit about anything, and the world's over. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, and the thing is, when you're alone in an urban environment, uh huh, it's hard to find happiness because nobody cares what you're into. And, like, your tiny little sack of Burger King that you, like, walk home with... And you're just like a single man walking home with a sack of Burger King. I I see that in my neighborhood. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's so adorable and sweet. It makes me want to cry. Mm-hmm. So it's not even happy. It's sad. Yeah. But once it's all over and you live amongst the bones of the whale with the foxes and the wolves, like competing for your food joy abounds you get it wherever you can mm-hmm. you know like happiness is the casualty of the middle class man yeah if you're fucking super rich or super fucked. You get to be happy all the time. Um, <laughs> that's one of the best things I've probably ever said. Man, fuck. Yeah, man. I think that that's like the entirety of uh, of our boy David Foster Wallace is just exploring that. Like, what is it about, you know, people who are around this age range and like this income level and this education, it it is impossible to be happy. Yeah. It is because there's two parts. The easy answer is because we're all bitches. Um, The longer answer is because we grew up beneath the these boomers who lived in the only generation that was easy. Mm-hmm. For any human beings mm-hmm. in the history of the world, mm-hmm. there's been one generation where it was easy. And it was my parents. Yeah. And to sit there and look at that and be like, 
like you aren't even talented and you were the head of Electra Records and you have a mansion and now you're Ben of Ben and Jerry's and <laughs> like your best friend was Janis Joplin who also isn't talented and like you <laughs> listened to that and enjoyed it and like, like it's it's like did you oh you started in the mailroom can you Great. consider uh-huh. that like Woodstock was one festival yeah about as big as like any Day at Riot Fest. Yeah. What? You hear about it for Ooh. fucking your entire life? Yeah. Ooh, it's so important. Uh. One 39,000 person festival, is that important? Get fucked. It, it, no, it wasn't. Those people were just like making up songs on the goddamn stage for one thing. And for another thing, what? It's like... Wavy gravy, uh, <laughs> ooh, um, oh, he did the like, national anthem on the guitar. Uh, the national anthem on the guitar by Jimi Hendrix is one it's of the few things cool. that I would it's say is like cool. kind of actually relevant from that Woodstock, but um, <laughs> what uh, like Richie Havens. He'd never done jack shit before Woodstock. Went up there. That motherless child song, Freedom, Freedom. Mm -hmm. He was making that shit up because they were like, you have to start playing because Led Zeppelin is not here yet. Uh, And like, (laughs) just play. And so he's like... It's fucking improv. It's yes and... That's what you're getting <laughs> over there, man. Like, all right, need a pro- need a profession. Okay, cool. Need a a general concept. Yeah, Freedom, yeah. perfect. You know, it's interesting what you're saying though about uh, Metropole takes place in a city. Skeleton Coast takes place out in a sort of post-apocalyptic world that is populated by animals and i think by a very very different landscape yes does that come together in the same sort of way you and chris are kind of writing about these things that are honing in on a focused vision for this record it's a great question very well framed uh they are in in a very real way Everything's the same. Mm-hmm. Um, humanity exists in like the fucking jar that your brain is in, mm-hmm. right? Like, no matter what's around you, and like a city is more lonely than a small town, and a complete isolation is sometimes very freeing mm-hmm. and less lonely than either. But um, I think the big difference between Metropole and uh, Skeleton Coast is that in Metropole, 
it was this acknowledgement that like you don't have to be happy and feel um man if you're lonely and desperate in mm-hmm. this fucking hog pack that you're in that's acceptable that's okay yeah. like we're we're all there um Skeleton Coast, it's like, man, I found a gold tooth on the beach. Dope. <laughs> like, this is going to make my day. You know, like, it, uh-huh. it, it's, it's really about seeking out those, like, tiny moments of joy. That's what the record's about. Like, mm-hmm. even with, and, you know, you say it the second way I just said it. So you got those tiny moments of joy, even in the squalor and wilderness of um, uh, post-apocalyptica or whatever. But the first way I said it sums it up so much better. Mm-hmm. Yo, there's a gold tooth on the ground. Stoked. This is, yeah. this is my day. You know, and that that's what I think the record is about. It is... It's about being done with worrying at all about your issues, uh, your proclivities, your 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 problems with like your uh, social circle or whatever. Those are only as important as <laughs> that shit existing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could be like. Deanne's a real bitch. And then fucking all of Evanston blows up and you're like, hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know why I worried about Deanne being a real bitch. She's vaporized <laughs> now. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and so when, when it like really comes down to it at the end, it's like, what do you like? It's like, I like this beautiful person that makes me feel good. I like this beautiful feeling that makes me feel good. I like this sound. Mm -hmm. I like this vegetable, whatever the fuck it is, you know? And that's Skeleton Coast, Mm -hmm. right? It's, I mean, it's all scavenger animals that are referenced on there. You know, and it's it's the joy in finding that shit. Yeah. Just it I I I don't know, like I'm hesitant to put too fine a point on the whole thing, but it is I think it's a sweet love song to the idea of being alive, that record. And I don't know that that's the way it's been received, but that's what I hear. I I really, really like the way that you put this, the multiple ways that you put this in, because it's one of those moments where you... Where I hear it, and it's like, 
oh, eight different things pop into my head of exactly that feeling. That finding the gold tooth is like all throughout here. And the gleefulness is something that in listening back to it for like a round of getting ready to do this and being separated from it for six months of having it just like there taking it all in. I just came back and was like, man, this is like such a celebration and it's all just like a lot of simple pleasures all throughout. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think that there's something to the the structuralism nodding to that the the guitar solos the chink 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 like like mm-hmm. it's everything is fun. It's like the simple fun of being a punk rock band. I mean, Quiet Storm is. Blink, blink, blink. Mm-hmm. Boo doo ding ding. You know, like Chris was like, I don't know if I like that bass line. I was like, but it's so fun to play. He was like, oh, if it's really fun, play. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and like, it's. The whole thing is a celebration of like what. When you're middle-aged punk band mm. being able to put out a record is a joy that you eke out of a desert. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. These actual songs, I've never really consciously put that together before. Yeah. But these songs are our fucking beautiful person delicious food uh party with wolves whatever yeah and yeah it's pretty neat um yeah. two, two things there's um there's a documentary called survivors of the skeleton coast that i watched this morning it's on youtube and it's about the animals that live in that area, which is very arid desert land. And there were, there's herds of elephants that live there. And if you want to watch someone have a good time, you watch a few elephants going down the hills of a sand dune. Cause they are just having a blast partying, sliding down. Just Love. like, this is the best. My ears are huge. There's a water hole down there. It's going to be tight. All my friends are going to be there. And um, I have to think, too. There's... I, I get a lot of joy out of seeing the joy that you get when you, like, share stories or pictures that your daughter drew or stories about your kids that 
to me feels like it's that's gotta play a role in the fun do you think you don't get to stay alive and still feel like it's worth a shit if you don't have a child or two um like at at a certain point it's like i'm no longer afraid of death yes thank you for showing up uh yeah and i know that's probably a little heavier than you were looking for but um i can take it (laughs) it is true and the first bit sucks real bad um like when they're zero and they're just shitting everywhere and yeah oh my goodness you just want to die but once they're like my my kids are 10 and 12 now i'm like thank god i've replicated myself Uh, (laughs) yeah i got nothing to worry about anymore and i feel like there's just something in the it just in the tone of this record too where you it's like metropole got so much shit out of the way for a lawrence arms record it's like you did the comeback thing. You did the you did the thing where it's like, all right, it's been eight years. Like, do we still got it? Like, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. Th- like so much pressure is off here, even though it is another six and a half years. Yeah, I mean the we definitely came into this record being like "Hmm, maybe it sucks i don't know like it'll be good but you know chris is always really positive when like we start to collect the songs um for metropole and for skeleton coast he was like dude i don't want you to worry i think we've got a special collection of songs here Mm -hmm. he said that to me both times um, as we've, uh, you know, gone into recording and, um, I guess maybe that doubts me as the naysayer or whatever, but, um, I kind of knew at this time it was going to be good. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of fun shit on these, these records. What do you think, Tim? Should I write a uh, quarantine acoustic album, put it out like this month? Just crank on it? Yes. Okay. You should. Will do. Should I call it Tim? You know. There's already a great album called Tim. There's a great album called Tim. Uh, Also very gleeful and fun. Yes, there's a swinging party on it. Um, track one, side one. There is no past. Quiet storm. Um, this is a as 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 first song as it gets. Yeah. Um, the one thing I'll say about this song, I. Chris obviously crushed it with this, but he had the vision of the whole thing. The only thing I did was put in the, 
ah, like it was funny because I was like, I'd like a bad religion harmony at the end of that. Uh-huh. And I told him to do the riff at a time that he wasn't going to do it. That's that's about all I did mm-hmm. in the studio. Um, and then Matt was like, we'll get in there and do it. And I was like, ooh, I didn't expect me to be the person that would do the five uh-huh. part harmony. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so that, that is my first five-part harmony. And Hennessy was like, that's the same thing you did the first time. <laughs> so I, I didn't do it easily or well. Um, but it turned out good. But the other thing that I did was he wanted it to be, there is no past. There is no future Mm -hmm. in the active chorus during the whole song. Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, the way that word future sounds, it's like the R is just like so harsh and it is not cool. Mm Mm-hmm. What about like the future has been cast? I I don't want to take like too much credit for anything. This is a great song written by Chris McCoggan, but um, that little change needed to happen. And yeah, I it's never an easy conversation with a brilliant lyricist to be like, how about changing the lyrics? Uh (laughs) You know? So, um, to the first song on the record. (laughs) Well, I mean, we, we hadn't sequenced the whole thing yet, but, but in fairness, I mean, you know, like we're all on the fucking same page. If, if Mm -hmm. nothing, it's a great example of Chris being, uh, or I guess the Lawrence arms being on the same page. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it works out nicely too to just end that line with cast when you can be free to live at last. Right. There is no past. The future has been cast. Now I'm free to live at last. I mean, like, and then before it was there is no past. There is no future. And when he mm-hmm. sings it hard. Mm-hmm. The R just gets a little sour. I, it just didn't work for me, and I don't know. Well, it changed, so I guess it must have been a good thing, and it's a favorite on the record, so there you go. I think that it, it's cool, too, just the way that that, first of all, the song starts with the chorus. Just like it's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Mm-hmm. That's not how the end of the world as we know it starts. I know. I've been thinking ahead. about that the entire week. What was I thinking? Of course, like, we, we finished that podcast, and then I'm like, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, the, I think just like the, you know, this narrator that's speaking, and then also Chris McGoggin, um just as the person who's opening the Lawrence Arms record that's like, no, we don't we don't rest on our on our laurels over here. This is It is a really I think unintentionally 
dope mission statement for Lord's Arms 2020. Um, I maybe it's what Chris was thinking. I think if I think what my my take on it is that it's it's part of this entire larger premise which involves like I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to do what I can mm-hmm. when I can. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. But yeah. At what it when the second verse comes in They'd already done the guitars and everything, and I walk in, and I start playing it, and they're like, don't play it all the way through. And I was like, oh, God, I didn't want to play it all the way through. I thought you guys wanted me to play it all the way through. I've already got parts written for not playing it all the way through. And (laughs) so when it's like, boom, boom, ding, 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 right? Like, yeah. I had that all done and I tried to do something else and Neil was like, no, no, we thought you wouldn't play it through. I was like, <laughs> so. <laughs> what does that mean? Just like hold out the notes as opposed to what's yeah. on the record where you kind of end up filling the space a little bit? No. So what's, what would be expected would be to go right what's on there is boom boom ding ding right like where I don't do the like 16th notes or whatever all the way through and um yeah i guess that's about all i do i do love when the band kicks in in that second verse and you hit that second note of the phrase when you go up and you and neil both just like hit that chord with such a ferocity it's so fucking dope it's and neil hits all of that with me yeah it's well i mean He's Neil Hennessy. There's a reason people chant his name. (laughs) And like when he goes into that chorus from there too, just like Neil's Neil can make it feel like just walls are crashing and you got Chris's guitar fill going into it. It's so so That's the one that's the one that I made him do. I said (laughs) Do it at the beginning of this last chorus. Yeah. <laughs> I could take almost no credit for this song because um, 
Chris wrote it and made it awesome. But uh, yes, I did put the riff in the beginning of that last chorus. Like, also lyrically, this is such a cool narrative. And I, I love how it's that line, no more courage at my fingertips. It's like, wait, what? Like, is that? Hell yeah. <laughs> you, you know, what's, what's funny is like we were talking about this song and he was like, dude, this was just supposed to be like a Crimshrine song. Yeah. Fast punk song. There is no past. There is no future. Mm-hmm. Now I'm free to live at last. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, there's a little more like sleekness that just comes from like the sound of like us doing mm-hmm. it and Crimshrine, you know? But of course I see that. Yeah. It is like this is a classic old school punk song, like the kind that we like grew up with. Straight it's up. Pretty neat. Um Yeah, having having a phrase like no future in here I think is uh that's a nice, nice little thing for the uh, for the punk rock. We're very punk mm-hmm. too. <laughs> but this song, it does a really cool thing that I I just had a revelation with it because all along the Watchtower also does this, where you have both of these songs end with horsemen coming and the way that like that just opens up the narrative is really cool because it's like all of this motion all of this like you know leaving it all behind it's only just the beginning it's like oh shit well if if the fucking horsemen are here uh shit's about to go down yeah, I mean, shit's also over. It's like that whatever you're leaving behind is gone. I mean, they're the horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, but... Quite literally, but... Um, I do love that he says some horsemen. It's so good. Like, this is a thing, like, when... Chris... Okay, so I'm going to say this right now. Mm-hmm. My computer is at 4%. I do not have a charger. We have to end very okay. soon or it will just die. Um, but um, there are many years of us doing songs. And one thing that I've always done, which I bet Chris just despises, is like sometimes he says, like, I don't know, the guys. Uh huh. Or the days, and I'm like, I hate to fuck with your lyrics. You're an amazing lyricist, but what about these days, this time instead of the time? Like, just like that, like tiny specificity mm-hmm. made out of like sort of um, uh, what are. What's that? You don't want you don't it, want a definite article here. 
You want? Yes, just no. I do want a definite. Well, article. the this is, is the, the definite article. It's a problem. And this is better. It, this is better. And and then when I see this, some horsemen are calling. I'm like. Well, my work here is done. (laughs) I taught him everything he knows. (laughs) No, I taught him nothing. Uh, He's better than me. I let the record show. I've done nothing. I'm bad. Um, You're the best. Pause your recording. Save it. We're going to be back next week with another edition of road to the skeleton coast we are going to take as many weeks as we need talking about this record we talked about one song this week 13 to go patreon.com slash better sandwich his name is brendan and he's my best friend and we'll be back next week thank you friends Now I